Welcome to session three of How to Brief Your Boss. It's about writing briefing notes, finding and using strategic direction, and as a change of pace, no career stuff. When a friend and I were putting together an online course on decision making for the private sector, which I will admit had good content, but uh, iffy production, he asked about what happens in the public service. And my response was that arguably there's very little decision-making in the public service, which kind of sounds offensive, I know. Here's how I explained it to him in an email. Quote, Governments make thousands of decisions per day. Almost all of them are driven by policy, procedure, and precedent. An application under a program is received, and a government worker follows established processes to adjudicate it. The challenge comes from the small percentage of a government's decisions that don't fit this model. The creation of new policy, the modification of old policy, or a standalone decision outside the public service mandate. Those decisions are elevated through public service management and, if they're controversial enough, to elected officials for a final decision. Management is responsible for ensuring the integrity of the decision process and supporting the quality of decisions derived from it. Larger organizations, including the BC government, have standardized processes and formats for decision documents to ensure that decision makers have the right tools to be consistently and properly informed. Executives and elected officials expect to read a document that concisely and accurately summarizes the issue and provides a balanced analysis, comprehensive options, and a recommendation with clear next steps. Of course, the reality may be very different. The process and decision documents often inadvertently become tools to influence rather than inform. End of quote. Of myself. Well, that was precious. By the way, I'm using the term briefing note to refer to the dozens of formats that are used to convey written information and ask for decisions. Issue papers, decision notes, backgrounders, policy papers, situation reports, they all operate under the same principles. So, to pull some highlights from the last session, briefing note should be short, concise, focused, readable, and I'm going to add one critical new element, reliable. Briefing notes must be accurate and defensible. Uncertainty about any information must be pointed out. Briefing notes, in all their variations, will usually have some combination of a title, an issue summary, a background section, a discussion or analysis section, options if it's asking for a decision, and a conclusion or recommendation. And here are my brief thoughts on each. The title. Well, this isn't intuitive, but the title doesn't have to explain anything. It's just about identifying the topic and differentiating it from other briefing notes on a similar topic. It's short. Going back to the scenario at the end of session one, it could be something like Dam Failure Near Kelowna hyphen Emergency Funding Request. The Issue section should explain in one sentence why the note matters to the reader. It's the heart of your key messages. Going back to our scenario, it might be something like, The Minister of Environment is requested to authorize cleanup funding under the Dam Failure Act following the collapse of a dam near Kelowna. The background section usually gives a brief history of the topic and other critical information. 
but you've only got a few sentences. If you're feeling stuck about what to include, see if between the title, issue, and background, you've answered the five W's. Who, what, when, where, and why. Again, consider the use of an appendix for additional details. The discussion section is an unbiased analysis of the issue based on the information you've given in the background. What do I mean by unbiased? Well, it means it's not just the issue from your perspective at your desk with your personal mandate. The viewpoint has to be balanced. It goes to the goal of working collaboratively across government. For example, writing a briefing note that deliberately ignores another ministry's significant concern is a very bad thing. The options section. Well, if you're writing a briefing note that asks for a decision, this section lists short descriptions of the options for responding to an issue. Usually, each option will include pros and cons. Unfortunately, in practice, the options in most decision notes follow a not very productive pattern. And to be clear, with one exception, I'm not recommending you do this. Option one is usually continuing the status quo, doing nothing. No question, this one is an essential option. The consequences of doing nothing must be described accurately. But option two is usually the preferred option. This is the option that analysts and management would recommend to their bosses, probably after much compromise. And option three is usually, unfortunately, the extreme option. This option is written to either fulfill a preference for at least three options, or make option two look eminently practical. It's meant to be discarded immediately. So, sadly, most decision documents only describe one truly viable option, which was formed through its own informal and likely undisciplined decision process. Please, try to make the second and third options equally valid, and not point toward a predetermined agenda. If there are more than three real options, list them. They can be edited down later if required. Next, for an information note, the conclusions or summary. This is not the place to bring up new information. This is the place that very briefly summarizes what this all means and what happens next. So, conclusions should summarize very briefly with minimal or no repetition and describe the next steps. If you're writing a decision note, you need to prepare recommendations instead of a conclusion. Similar process. Because you've already done the hard work earlier in the options section, this simply says which is the recommended option and the resulting next steps. In the damn scenario, the recommendation might be something like approval of option three, authorization of $500,000 funding under the Act. Next steps include ministry staff meetings with affected property owners and coordination with local government. Something like that. So, how do you decide which options to include and what to recommend? Way back in the first episode, I said that you need to have a grasp of the strategic direction of your organization. Now, you can always find the government's strategies, plans, and initiatives on the gov.bc.ca website, and your ministry's website in particular. Broad strategic direction is also given in the speech from the throne at the start of each session of the legislature. And 
in the budget speech given by the Minister of Finance annually on Budget Day. As well, reading a ministry's service plan will give you a clear idea of the top priorities of that ministry. However, the specific direction for ministries is found in the mandate letters sent by the Premier to individual ministers. They set out the Premier's expectations. They give direction on achieving key government goals. Now, the mandate letters are also available through gov.bc.ca. Of course, if you want to hide something, put it on a government website. Ask yourself, is what I'm proposing consistent with these sources? Does one option or another clearly align with and support government's stated goals and initiatives? Will it help your minister meet the requirements of their mandate letter? Okay, where do you find strategic direction in the private sector? Check your company's website for its vision, mission, and goals. And look to see if it publishes letters to shareholders or quarterly reports and see if it has a culture code or a code of ethics. And, well, read your CEO's tweets. Okay, let's wrap up this session here. The next session is random writing tips. So many tips, so random. Thank you for listening.